Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to Motormania, the car talk show. It's live on Dubai Eye between now and midday. So, coming up this morning, journalist Damien Reed will be joining us to discuss the latest motoring news. Now, he's been speaking to British sports car manufacturer Lotus about their plans to relaunch as a full EV manufacturer. He's also been driving the new Mini Countryman Cooper S. He'll tell us all about it. We'll also be talking to EV Labs' Salman Hussein about the results of a new study in the United States in California, which found that almost a fifth, that's 18%, of electric car owners decided to go back to gas-powered vehicles. And this is actually the women more than the men. We'll tell you about that later on. Then later we'll be hearing from Huda al Matrushi. Now, she's one of the few Emirati women to venture into the car repair business. She runs Amex Garage in Sharjah and she'll be telling us why she loves her job. And today, inspired by Huda, we're running a poll to gauge your mechanical ability. Quite simply, we want to know, can you change a tyre? Head over to our Instagram page at DubaiEye1038FM, click on our story and vote yes or no, and I'll be keeping you up to date with the results throughout the show. OK, that's all still to come, but first it's time for a full hour with motoring expert Matthew Davidson. Fix it or flip it. Yes, Matthew is Motormania's valuation guru. He can tell you how much your car is worth right now and if it's time to think about selling it. All you need to do is give him details of the make, the model, the year and the mileage of your car. Now, there's a few ways you can do that. You can send it to us via SMS 4001. You can use the ARN Play app. That's completely free of charge. Or you can call us 04871 04871-5500. We give priority to callers. Now, while we stack up those uh, callers, let's say hello to uh, Matthew. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Ray. Hey, how are you doing? Great, great. Good, good. you loud and clear. Excellent. Yeah, we're using a little bit of a different uh, bit of technology today to, to speak to Matthew, but uh, we can hear you loud and clear here. Um, busy week, Matt. How's it been? Yeah, yeah, it's been a great week, actually. And uh, like a lot of people, you've noticed the weather's getting warmer yeah. and warmer. So I've been taking some advantage of getting out with my cars and and uh, really just saying goodbye to this cooler weather. Um, yeah. I don't think it gets too hot here until july but the the step down from what was cooler weather to kind of uh, hotter weather has now begun i believe yeah i'm driving around with no no ac at the moment (laughs) (laughs) now this this always seems to happen to me about this time of year just as it's uh you know starting to get hotter again and i have you know because i'm a bit of a a skin flint you know i have that sort of i drive around with the window open basically (laughs) and and i know it's i know it's really summer when uh when when i finally sort of put my hand in my pocket and pay for the ac to be fixed do you think it's the uh ac gas or you think it's a bit of a more serious problem no it's the gas it's the gas every time i must just i just probably use it all up how long should it should it last for it depends really on the size of the cabin because obviously the bigger the cabin the more you'll consume mm. uh the the freon gas um but in, you know typically i would say around 18 months mm. for a normal car and and filling up the gas is less than 200 dirhams and most of the kind of fast tracks and auto pro these drive-in um workshops behind the fuel stations they will be able to top the gas up within about 15 20 minutes yeah 
doesn't take too long. Uh, let's let's get your view on our poll that we're running today. Um, we're asking people, and we're kind of inspired by by Huda, the uh, Emirati uh, female mechanic uh, based over in Sharjah. Kind of got us thinking, you know, how much do we know about our own our own cars, and and what sort of repairs could we do? And we thought, well, let's just ask something really simple: Could you change a tire? If you had to, not do you know how to change it, but could you could you actually do it? We'll give the results of that poll later on. Which way do you reckon that's going to go? Uh, it's a difficult one. I would say pretty much down the middle. Mm. Um, if people are being really honest, um, I mean, my my view on it is obviously I can change a tire, but in this country I wouldn't do it because okay. you can you can you can get a recovery vehicle for about a hundred dirhams that will come very safe put your car on the recovery vehicle take it to the nearest tire shop and they'll change the tire for you i just don't recommend it with the highways and obviously the temperatures that we get here particularly in the summer Mm. it's always worth spending 100 dirhams when your life is on the line which it it really can be if you see the speed of people on the highway and you're on the edge of the road trying to change a tire so first of all safety always never never try and save a few dirhams and put your life at risk Mm. but um but how, I would how, say how, that, uh, Matthew, how quickly do they do they the recovery vans come there? Because you know I had a tire uh, burst a while back, and I, and I ended up changing it myself. You know, managed to get over over to the hard shoulder, and and I did it. Um, but but you know I didn't like the idea of sort of sitting around, you know, waiting because I, I feel that that could lead to accidents as well. Yeah, I mean, if you have a flat tire, it's always worth trying to get your car. As, as far away off the highway as possible. It won't damage the tire that's already damaged anyway. So just pull it so it's off the highway. And then you yourself really need to be out of that car yeah. anyway for safety reasons. Um, I, I would recommend that people actually plan a little bit in advance and have a, re- a recovery company stored in their phone. Yeah, that's a um, great idea. Yeah, they'll, they'll come pretty, just store it as, you know, recovery vehicle in your mobile phone. Mm. Most insurance companies give you recovery anyway, but I would actually lean more towards the fact that I would just have my own one ready to go on speed dial and, yeah. and, and pretty much anywhere in Dubai, they'll, they'll be there quite quickly. And as I said, less than a hundred dirhams there, putting it on the, the recovery vehicle for you. They'll drive you to the nearest tire garage and they know where all of those are and, and it's done it's safe but um it shouldn't take too long now zero four eight seven one double five double zero that's the number that you need to dial if you want to speak to matthew he is our car valuation expert just give us a ring tell him the make the model the year the mileage and the condition of your car and he'll advise firstly how much could you get if you sold it today what is it worth right now? And should you sell it or should you hang on to it? What's the best financial decision uh, for you? Zero four eight seven one double five double zero. Mark is on the line. We're going to speak to him in a moment. There's seven other slots completely free. If you call right now, you will get through. You will speak to Matthew. Before that, though, um, we had a text in from Arthur, um, and he wanted to know, Matthew, what if my car has problems like the tyres are worn, the, there's leaks, there might be damage? Should I fix it or leave it to the buyer and take less money on that sale? Yeah, this, it's a good question. And there's some items that I think it just makes sense to to fix ahead of selling because particularly cosmetic things or or problems that are clearly going to put potential buyers off. One of the things that you can do with tires, for example, is say to the the inward buyer, look, the tires do need changing, 
but you will be the beneficiary of that. Mm. So maybe I'll put some money towards that and, and you, you put the bulk of it. You have to look at what is essentially wrong with the car. If it's an oil leak uh, and, and even major oil leaks, nobody's going to buy that car. Maybe even if you say no problem, I'll knock enough money off to fix it. They want to know the car is actually running well before they actually part ways with their money. So I would say looking at what the actual issue is will determine whether you take action. But leaks and stuff that affects the, the car actually running, you need to fix. But if it's tires and cosmetic stuff, maybe talk to the inward buyer and just say, look, maybe we, uh, we work on this together. Yeah, nice. Uh, lots of um, people texting in asking you questions we'll get through as many as many of those as we can over the next 50 minutes that we have with you you're here till 11 a.m but really uh, it's all about the calls zero four eight seven one double five double zero. we want to take wall-to-wall back-to-back calls uh, with our valuation expert matthew davidson let's speak to mark first he's our first caller on line number one good morning mark good morning hi there yes how are you doing sir very good, thank you. Very good. I'm actually sat in the car as we speak. Oh, good. Hands-free. Good, hands-free. It's Perfect. That's what we like to hear. Uh, happy uh, Saturday to you. Uh, what would you like to ask Matthew? Yeah, I was just wondering. I have a, um, um Alfa Romeo, um, um, Julia, uh, and it's the um, um, Quadrifolio model. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, it's a 503-bake horsepower. It's a special car. Obviously, it kind of steers the emotions, and I kind of feel like I'm thinking about whether to downgrade, upgrade, or cross-grade, because kind of, I'm, I'm using it as a daily driver, so I'm not really unleashing the full potential of the car. It's a um, 2019 model yeah. uh, with 26,000 or 25,486 kilometers on the clock. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of wondering uh, a sort of basic valuation, because obviously it's not that common, so just to understand what kind of value I might expect for that. Brilliant. I'm just going to fade you down just because of the traffic noise, but you'll still be able to hear Matthew. Matthew, what would you like to, yeah. uh, to say to Mark? Well, I mean, first of all, a stunning car and something that, uh, you, know, you know, if you were de- desperate to sell, I suppose, and you needed to sell, I would sell it, but not at 2019. It's, it's worth driving that for at least a couple more years and, and getting the full, full value from that car because you're just going to get hit with that, that first and second year of depreciation. I mean, in terms of value, I would say, it would be around 280, I would think, 285. But um, it depends, really, because there won't be a lot of cars on the market. So it's one of those cars that you put out there and see how the market reacts. But I would not be selling that car for at least another year, 18 months, else you'll get, you'll, you'll get punished, really. How do you feel about that, Mark? Don't sell. Uh, yeah, it's kind of good. It, it's, it's kind of what I was thinking, to be honest. I'm just not 100% sure whether it was a good move to uh, think about selling and that kind of answers it really um and, and I, I was just worried about putting too many you know too many kilometers on the clock and obviously then facing a devaluation because of that but i think if i stay under a sensible number i should be okay right in the next year or two yeah i, I would say if you if you keep it under fifty thousand, that would probably be the trigger number for the kilometers so if you sold it in say year 18 months with 40 45 kilometers that would work Mark, I hope that helps. Uh, that's that's how it works. It's it's really that simple. Zero four eight seven one double five double zero. Let's speak to uh, Danny. She's on line seven. Danny on line seven. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Matthew. Hey, he. he's on line seven. Apologies, it's been spelt with an I, but never mind. What would you like to ask, Matthew? Uh, hey, Matthew. Uh, I have a Ford Explorer. 
2016 XLT uh, mileage is 100k and with an extended warranty and extended service to 160k for another two years. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to check what's the evaluation, how much is it worth. It's been with me for the past three years. And sometimes I just think of, you know, upgrading or having a newer model. Mm. Uh, Matthew, okay, so this Ford Explorer 2016 XLT, 101,000 kilometres, extended warranty all the way through till 160K or November 2023, fix or flip. I need to get this right because I have exactly the same car in the family. So <laughs> if, I got, if I got this wrong, it would be bad. But yeah. So, yeah, I know that car's worth around 80 to 85. Um, I, in terms of selling it, you, you need to really look at the, the warranty and the service contract. As long as there's six months left on that, that makes it a very saleable car. But I think once that warranty passes um t minus six months then you should look at selling it to get the most value but these are cars that you can actually keep quite long term uh, uh, for example if you kept it for say another three or four years it would still always be worth above 40k so they're, 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 they devalue uh, quite quite slowly and being a seven seater they're very desirable here mm. how do you feel about that yeah. awesome that's great yeah so Probably keep it, definitely. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Uh, Matt, on the line, we have a DK. We've also got Rambo and Sid coming up. Let's chat to DK first. Good morning, DK. Hi, morning. Morning. Yeah, I hope you're well. What would you like to ask, Matthew? I'm doing fine. Good. Yeah, hi, Matthew. I'd like to know I have a Honda Pilot. It's a 2011, 193,000 kilometers, no accident, and always serviced through Alphotheim Honda. I'd like to know what kind of value can I get if I sell this. Morning, DK. Um, Well, first of all, one of the big advantages you've got is even though your kilometers are high, not super high considering it's a 10-year-old car, but they're getting close to 200,000. The fact that you've serviced it at Honda Alphatane is a really good selling part of, of your process you need you need to mm-hmm. you need to say that in the uh, in the top of the advert service at honda i think the value probably is around 2022 but but because you've serviced it at the honda mm-hmm. i'd probably start a bit higher than that and then you can okay. always come down a little maybe even 25 26 uh, and just see okay. how, how people react to that price and but it should always sell above 20 is that the sort of valuation you were looking for dk no, I had no idea at all. So when I was listening to the radio, <laughs> let me give a call and find out. <laughs> so what would that what would that um, make you uh, think about doing now? You think about letting it go? No, I've been actually thinking of changing the car for quite some time. Mm. So I was wondering whether to just keep this one and buy another one because I was not sure what kind of money I would get. Mm. If it is around twenty five, twenty six, I think it's worth selling it off and just having another car. Good. Well, I hope that helped. Uh, thanks for giving us a ring. Let's speak to uh, Rambo on line number two. Rambo! Hi. Hey, you're right. You're right. Love the name. Uh, what would you like to ask, Matthew? Yeah, so I have a Toyota Prado 2012 model, mm-hmm. around 200k. Mm-hmm. I've not done agency service since 2005, I think. Uh, but uh, no off-roading. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still drives well. 
Okay, because your, your, your line's a little bit quiet, so I'll just recap that. It's a 2012 uh, Prado. I've got a note here that it's black, 200,000 kilometres, and he, importantly, never been used for off-roading. Matthew? Well, I never thought I'd say these words this morning, but good morning, Rambo. <laughs> um, <laughs> these, uh, these cars vary whether they're uh, uh, the, the four-cylinder, the 2.7, or the, the four-litre V6. Do you know which one it is, Rambo? Oh, four liter V6. Okay, fantastic. Well, these are the ones that everyone's chasing, and and we've said this before on the show. Most cars, two hundred thousand is is a lot, and it affects your ability to sell the car at a great price. But not with a Prado; they still hold their value, and I still think that car would be around seventy seventy five thousand. Um, I would even start advertising it at seventy nine online, and then. Uh, look to close uh, around 75, but know that you you would definitely sell for 70. How does that sound to you, Rambo? Sounds good. Happy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Thank you, Rambo. Uh, on line number one, let's uh, chat to Sid. Good morning, Sid. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> good. Headed to work. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, what would you like to ask Matthew? Yeah, well, I have an Audi A6. It's got about uh, 200K. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, just about uh, selling it soon. So I just wanted to find out whether that's the right call or whether I shouldn't hold on to it. What's what's driven your th- your thoughts in terms of selling it? Oh, it's just uh, aged, I guess. It's got 200,000 kilometers. So mm. I thought it, uh, it's time to move on. Okay, so it's an Audi A6 2014. Nothing, nothing, really, nothing really wrong with the car as such. No accidents. No uh, accidents. Just the mileage. All right, Matthew. Just the mileage, yeah. Yeah, a few questions, Sid. Good morning. Um, is it a two-liter, or or has it got the it actual V6? It's a two-liter. Okay. Um, this is the opposite to the Prado. These cars, you need to be out of them once they get to 200,000. They devalue a lot of this kilometer range, and also they start costing quite a lot of money to, to maintain. The right. value, 32,000, 33,000, but... In answer to your question, I think, yeah, the, the sooner you get out of this car, the better. There could be expensive bills around the corner. Okay, fair enough. That was the way you were thinking anyway, right? But uh, basically, Matthew's yeah, that, that saying, is, do it yeah. now. Yeah, it was, it was basically do it now or just run it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. uh, don't have uh, too much of a stressful day at work. Thanks for calling in, Sid. Uh, Sid gave us a ring on 04871 uh, So has Amar on line number two. Good morning, Amar. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks for calling. What would you like to ask Matthew? Right. So I've got a Porsche Kind, Kind S. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of kilometers, about 249 now, 249,000, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> she, but she's a 2012, and she's in really good nick. She, I st- would you believe it? I still have warranty with Porsche. Wow. Ever since I bought her, I've maintained her warranty. I've been spending seven, 8,000 dirhams a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have warranty till July this year. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I take her to the Porsche showroom, they all say <laughs> she's still going going pretty strong and etc uh, etc et so <laughs> i was just wondering it's a it's a white Porsche kind mm. uh, i was just wondering is it worth anything uh, if it is how much is it worth oh so you just want a valuation yeah value so you want a valuation before your warranty runs out maybe this will help you decide whether to extend your warranty or not no i can't extend oh you're not allowed. Okay, you can't okay 
because after 200,000, you can't extend it. So just okay. before 200,000, I extended it for two more, two additional years. Okay. For a cost of 14,000. Okay, Matthew, what would you say? Good morning. Yeah, um, kind of lets me answer a few questions. Uh, regarding the warranty, Porsche also stopped at 10 years. I mean, it, it is fantastic that you can extend that car up to 10 years old. So even if it wasn't a kilometer issue, you, you wouldn't be able to extend that car into next year anyway. Um, I would say definitely now is the time to sell it because you still have warranty remaining for a few more months. And that is that is going to help you sell that car with those kilometers because that is going to be the, the thing that most people look at and say, well, you know, well past 200,000 kilometers. The fact that it's got warranty and it's been serviced at Porsche is excellent, but those kilometers will hurt you. I think the car value would be about 50 to 55, um, but you must sell soon, literally in, in the next four to six weeks. So at least you can sell it with that warranty. Quick sell is needed, Amar. <laughs> well, happy to do that. <laughs> I mean, if I get 55, I would be gobsmacked happy with that. Oh, good. Uh, you will, you will, you will, you will get fifty to fifty-five, because let's let's just look at what it is. It's it's a Porsche Cayenne S. It's got the V8 engine. The newer ones uh, have the smaller uh, turbocharged engines, and these are still beautiful cars on the road. And somebody can park that in their driveway or their parking space, and they can look like they've got a fantastic car for very little money. So you will sell it but it'll be 50 to 55. Don't, don't let anybody lowball you much below that. No lowballs, Amar. No lowballs. Uh, thanks thanks for calling. Can I have one question, well, go on. if I may, please? Of course you can. Right. Um, I want to buy a Porsche Cayenne again, and because I just love this car, these cars, and the, and the Porsche automobiles look after it so amazingly. In fact, they've spent more than 35000 40000 on on warranty repairs at no charge to me. Right, including startup motors, um, suspension bushes, and so many other things. So my question is, if I had to buy a 2015 onwards uh, for less than 80,000, less than 75,000 kilometers, how much would I pay for it? I mean, um, what could I get a white Porsche kind for, approximately? Um, I, I would say that you would be better going for something like a 17 or 18. Um, that would be the sweet spot because you want the kilometers to be quite low. Uh, and then it seems like you're going to keep this car for, for quite a few years into the future. So I would try to go a little bit newer. And, and the 18 had the facelift as well. So that's why I would I would go for the 18. You can get a, a Cayenne uh, with maybe 40, 50,000 kilometers or less for about 260, 270. Um, that is where I'd probably go to next. But if, if you needed to, um, you know, trim the budget a bit and, and go down, you could go down to a 2016, then you're going to be more in the realms of the 150s, 160s. Uh, great advice there from Matthew. This is Motormania, if you just joined us. We're about halfway through. Let's go straight to Rhonda online number two. Good morning, Rhonda. Good morning. How are you doing? Good You're right. Good morning, right. everyone, and Matthew. Yay, good. Uh, what would you like to ask Matthew? Um, so I have actually a few questions about my car. It's a Honda CRV 2014. Mm -hmm. um, one, 
since it's crossed the hundred thousand, currently it's at a hundred and five. I've been wondering if it's a good idea to sell it or to wait and use it for a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been so far serviced at Honda, but I was also wondering since he said to the other person, um, it's it sells for more if you service it at Honda. How much more? Like if I stop servicing it at Honda and I decided to resell it, how much less? Good question. Um, um, should I say the other two questions? <laughs> let's do. Let's deal with that one first, and and, and, okay. and then let's come back to the other two. Matthew. Sure. Morning, morning, Rhonda. Um, it, morning. It, it is a great, great question, and I think it's answered by now the age of the car. First of all, you've got relatively low kilometers for a CRV that's seven years old, and this car will sell very, very quickly in the market. And at the current kilometers and price point, I think. 45,000, maybe even 48,000 or sell that car. In regards to servicing it, remember you can show a potential buyer that the first seven years of this car's life was at Honda. So even if you go down the route of servicing it outside, um, I don't think it's going to massively impact the value more than one or 2,000 at at most. So uh, yes, I would service it outside. And um, I think right now, the value would be about forty-five to forty-eight thousand. Okay, so that makes that makes sense, uh, Rhonda. What else would you like to ask? So, is it a good idea to sell it now? Like, would it depreciate if I left it quickly? Would it depreciate quickly? Well, let, let's just say you kept it over the next two years and you didn't mm-hmm. service it at Honda. I think that car would sell for late thirties, thirty-seven, thirty-eight thousand. Uh, they just they're just sought after here. Very desirable cars. Um, if you wanted to sell now, yes, you're going to optimize the fact that it is selling with complete Honda history right now, and you will get that that value. I said, you know, forty-five to forty-eight thousand. And and again, be careful of people throwing in low offers because these cars you, you won't have many on the market. Probably no more than a dozen 2014 CRVs in the, in the UAE for sale right now. So. Oh. Yeah, know what you own, um, but if you want to, if you want to move it on now, it's as it's as advantageous as selling it in two years. And uh, do you have a third question, years. just quickly, Rhonda? Yes. Does it matter if I'm a first owner or a second owner? Does it bring down the price? I, I think when you're selling it, if you are a first owner, that's a great selling feature because anybody buying it is meeting the person that's solely driven that car since it was new. Um, if you're a second owner. It's it's not going to impact your ability to sell the car. It's just not as much of a selling feature. Um, but if you are a first owner, you should shout about that definitely. Rhonda, hope that helps. Uh, be like Rhonda. Give give us a call zero four eight seven one double five double zero. One question, two questions, three questions doesn't matter. Matthew will answer them all. Uh, Shuaib is on line number one. Good morning, Shuaib. Hi. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing? Good morning, Shuaib. What would you like yeah. to ask, Matthew? So I've got a Porsche Cayenne S 2009 model. Uh, the color is sunset orange, um, and it's driven around 155,000 kilometers. So just want to know uh, what would be the valuation of it. And it's uh, not agency maintained and accident proof. So this is a, a back to the Porsche Cayenne S, but instead of the 2014, which I think we had earlier, it's the 2009, yes. Matthew. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, so this this car originally came into the market late 2003, and that shape stayed the same until 2011. So you, you're you're in the older shape Cayenne. Actually, for me, it's it's the more attractive looking car, but um, they do develop a lot of faults at, at this age and kilometers. And I think people buying them know that, and they get very expensive. The value is about twenty five thousand maybe 26 even 27 if you really lucky but no more and they they do start to get really expensive uh, i would advise simply getting out of this car because i know you're going to have quite big bills over the next 12 to 18 months so yeah it's it's not a great value because people know that they're expensive to maintain has it been expensive for you to maintain shueb i mean over the past two years yeah i have been getting huge bills but mm. Again, um, to buy another luxury car, you know, I would be spending that much, like more than what I'm you um, putting on the bills. Mm. So that's what's concerning me. You know, like, should I go for a new, like probably like an Audi or a, again a Porsche can or a Range Rover rather than you know? So that's what. But you, me. yeah, but you need to be careful here because a lot of people fall into this trap. So let's just say you you spend 25,000 on repairs this year. Now you're you're into that car and, and you feel like you want to get the value. Then at the end of the year, something major like the gearbox or lower engine fails, which, which means it's really not uh, worth repairing because of the bill that you'll have. And then you've lost all of that money. So yeah, these will forever take your money. There'll be components, suspension components, gearbox, engine, AC, there'll always be something going wrong with these cars as they get older. So don't fall into that trap of of thinking, oh, because I've thrown money at it, nothing else will go wrong. Believe me, stuff will go wrong. Shueb, I hope that helps just leaving it because we've got uh, so many people waiting on the line to talk to Matthew. Uh, Let's get on quickly then to line three. Seema, good morning, Seema. Hi, good morning. Hey, uh, go go straight to your question. What would you like to ask Matthew? So, uh, Matthew, hi, good morning. Uh, I'm driving a Ford Fusion. This is a 2014 model and has now done 147,000 kilometers. It's maintained by Ford Motors, warranty, guarantee, trouble-free, no accident, clean. Is it the time to sell this and get out of it? Yeah, good morning. I I think, again, a seven-year-old car, kilometers are are getting up there. You certainly wouldn't want to cross 150 because... There's certain markers that people look for, 100,000, 150, 200,000. So I, I would probably sell it now, especially as you say, it's it's well-maintained and running well. Always the best time mm-hmm. to sell a car. I think in terms of value, around 24, maybe 25,000. Um, but it really, uh, it really is the time to sell that car. How does that sound to you, Seema? It does sound good, but uh, another question following up from this. What should I buy? Give me suggestions. <laughs> so this, in the similar uh, kind of a car, I'm not, I'm not driving those clients which the other two have been driving. I don't <laughs> want one. <laughs> so the same level, same car, what would you suggest to me? Well, you know, you're looking, if you want to stick with a nice sedan like the Ford Fusion, I'd probably now switch to, to Japanese, maybe a Toyota or a Nissan. Um, okay. That would be, that would allow you to uh, have lower maintenance bills and uh, a much better resell. So, yeah, I would go something like a, a Nissan Altima, maybe. Um, that would that would 
really tick the boxes in terms of being a sedan car or something reliable, easy to resell. Hope that helps, Seema. Just moving on just because of time. Uh, Mike is on line number four. Good morning, Mike. Morning. Morning, chaps. How are we doing? Very well. Tickety-boo. What would you like to ask Matt? Splendid. I've I've got a um, 2010 uh, Range Rover Black. I've had it for a few years. Fantastic condition. Uh, I love it to bits, I have to say. Um, um, but, you know, the question really is, is it time to, to move it on um, or, or keep it? Because similarly, similar to the, the, the guy about his KN, um, um, you know, you could get into serious cost, of course. But, you know, I've done most of the suspension work on it. It's you know, the garage that I get it done at says it's in fantastic nick. You know, just what, what are your thoughts? What are you, what's the mileage on it, Mike? Uh, 120. 120. So it's a Range Rover Vogue 2010. It's black, 120K. And thinking about selling, Matthew. Morning, Mike. HSE? SE? Vogue. SE. Oh, oh, yeah, but yeah, SE. Yeah, is a trim. Okay, look, this car is exactly what you said. They, They start to become very expensive. Suspension is, because it's air suspension, is the big bills that you get with these cars. And you've recently done that. Um, there is, of course, electrical faults with these cars, and and you will you will find leaks appearing from the engine, gearbox, and and even AC failures. But if it's running okay and you've just done the suspension, you might want to roll the dice and and keep it for another six twelve months. Um, if you did sell it, the kilometers aren't bad, are they? That you know, one hundred and twenty is is yeah. roughly uh, you know eleven ten eleven thousand a year. It's it's hardly anything. Uh, I think in terms of the value. Probably around forty-two to forty-five thousand. Um, but if you've just done the suspension and you're enjoying the car, you could take a chance and, and keep it for a little bit longer. How does that sound, Mike? Yeah, that's my yeah, that's my inclination at the moment. I must admit, you know, and it is running extremely well. But uh, you know, it's, it's not if you're not going to get a lot back out of it, it probably doesn't make sense to sell it at the moment. Hope yeah, that helps, yeah. uh, Mike. Um, just yeah. going to move on just because of uh, time issues. Let's go to line number five first and Randeev. Good morning, Randeev. Good morning. Hey, uh, what would you like to ask? I'd like to ask Matthew, uh, what can I sell my 2010 Prado? It's in immaculate condition mm-hmm. and it's done 110,000 uh, kilometers. And I've got a uh, note here, Randeev, you're seriously thinking of selling. Yes, because I'm leaving, I'm leaving Dubai in about three months' time. That's a great reason to sell. Matthew, what's the valuation on that? Morning, and, and morning. Just to, uh, add, sorry. just to add, I've, I've put aftermarket leather upholstery and an entertainment system on the rear seats. Mm, nice, okay. Very nice. Um, well, sorry you're leaving us. Um, and don't mention that to anybody when you're selling the car because that puts the power in their hands. In terms sure. of value... Um, the kilometers are great. I think this car would sell for early 70s, 72, 73,000. Um, but oh, certainly uh, don't don't look to sell it under 70 because you, you've got time. Maybe uh, sell it with about a month to go, um, but you will sell that above 70. Yeah. And, oh, um, thanks a lot. Yeah, d- definitely don't tell people <laughs> that you're leaving. Otherwise, they'll just no, no, wait. No, I had to. For sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, Randy, no, because... Go on. I, I, I have another Prado, which I've got from my office, which is a 2016 model. And it doesn't drive as well as this one, which mm. is the 2010 model. Oh, there you go. Slight, slightly different there. Uh, let's go to line number two. Thanks for calling in, Randeev. Uh, line number two is Ali. Good morning, Ali. 
Hey, good morning. This hey, is Ali. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Very good. good, very good. How are you? Yeah, loving it. Uh, go straight to your question, please, Ali, for Matthew. Yeah, so I have this BMW 640. It's a dark blue color. Uh, still under warranty. 2015 model. Uh, has done uh, 60, almost 60,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the warranty actually runs out uh, beginning of next year, so I was a little confused whether I should sell it now or roll the dice and uh, keep the car after the warranty as well. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, the car has absolutely no problems. Okay, let's see what Matthew has to say. Morning. Um, it, it's a 16. Did you say? A 2015. 2015. Yeah, uh, I would sell while it's still got warranty for sure, because um, an, another car that gets quite expensive when, once it's out of warranty, uh, value wise, um, put it out there for maybe 95,000. Um, but I, I, I think you should sell definitely. You, you don't want to get into that situation where um, you, you're out of warranty and it becomes a lot more difficult to sell. Does that help, Ali? Yep, yep. Uh, that does help. Good. Thanks. Good. All right. Uh, line number six is Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hi. Good morning. You're right. Um, what would you yeah, like to ask, good Matthew? Thanks. Uh, hi, Matthew. Um, I've got a 2013 SL500 AMG with 48,000 kilometers. Um, I don't know much about the service history. I bought it last December, put it through an independent workshop. Spent a bit of money, not much actually, and they said it's a really good car. Um, just wanted to know roughly how much it was it was worth. I mean, they're they're still a beautiful car, Chris. Really, really beautiful car. I mean, hardtop convertible as well, which is so practical yeah. here. Um, my my feeling for the value based on those kilometres is around one hundred and ten thousand. Um, but I, I would probably want to delve a little bit more into the service history. If you can't show that it's been maintained, um, I know you had it checked, but somebody coming in, uh, buying that would want to, to know that it has service history. So you might, you might end up even selling for a bit less around a hundred because of that. Um, but I would start the ball rolling at around 110 and go from there. Chris, okay. I hope that helps. Just moving on just because we have got such a short amount of time to go left with Matthew. Let's uh, quickly speak to uh, Ramiz on line number three. Ramiz, you've got about 40 seconds. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I, my, Chris, I'm owning one 125,000-kilometer Ford Explorer, which is a mid, mid-model maintained by uh, the, for the, the agency and warranty is up to 21 December. So just my question is, advice to hold or sell, and what, what, how much money I can expect? Matthew. So, sorry, what year was it? 2015. Uh, 2015, 2015 for the mid-model. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good time to to consider selling because it's now out of warranty, six years old. I mean, um, value-wise, you're looking around 50k, um, early 50s, maybe 52. But it's it's a, a, a good time to sell this because, as I said, you're out of warranty now. Uh, and I think you uh, you would get the, the value to sell it right now and then move on. Uh, Ramiz, uh, hope that helps. Uh, not going to take your reaction to that because we uh, need to move on, Matthew, to uh, Speed Quote, uh, which is our favorite part of this show. Um, are you ready? It's seven to beat. 
I, uh, I still don't think how we're going to do seven, but I'm really going to try <laughs> well, my best to fly through these today. Okay, let's see. Okay, um, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you the make, the model, the year, and the mileage. I'm not going to tell you anything else, and that could be the secret to this, all right? Uh, so let's start in three, two, one. Renault Megane, 2014, 102,000. Uh, 25,000. Mini Cooper Chili Red, 2019, 56,000. Uh, it's just a standard Cooper, early 70s, 72. Audi A6 2017, 3.5 TFSI, 65,000. Uh, the 3.5s of E6, um, maybe 78, 79. Maserati Levante SQ4, 2017, 45,000. Oh, I love that car. Um, 200 to 210. Mercedes-Benz C280, 2009, 100K. Uh, won't be much. 28,000. Mercedes E200, 2016, 54,000. Probably late 80s, 88, 89. Land Cruiser GXR, 400,000. No year, sorry. Uh, guessing the year, uh, 10 years old, um, probably about 80k. Lexus RX 450, 2020, 15,000. Oh, 125. No, it's too late. One, two, three, four, five, six. You equaled your record seven. Oh, if you would just talk less. Just talk less, <laughs> Matthew, and just give me the... <laughs> just think faster and talk less. That's what I need to tell myself. Think faster and talk less. <laughs> hey, though, we, uh, you never thought we'd... Uh, I think, have we done seven, like, three times now? I think we've done yeah, seven it's, three it's, times. It, my brain hurts for about an hour after this second. You know that. <laughs> Well, it's a true test of your ability, isn't it? It's a true, true test of your ability. Uh, Matthew, um, what have you got coming up this week? Uh, I'm all over the F1, Portuguese F1. Mm-hmm. Um, just like our friend Damien Reed, I'm obsessed with F1. So uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be bedding down for um, qualifying today and the race tomorrow. Well, I hope you have a lot of fun with that. Thank you, as always, uh, for joining us on the show. We'll uh, speak to you next time. Have a great uh, rest of your week. Uh, thanks to everyone who called in as well on 04871 Thanks to everyone who texted us on 4001. Um, if we can't get your texts and your calls and et cetera answered, we kind of roll them on to the next one. So if you tune into the next episode, you should be able to um, hear your valuation then. This is Motormania on Dubai I 103.8. Here's Ray Addison. Still to come on today's programme, we're going to be talking to Salma Hussein. He's the product officer at EV Lab. And we're going to chat about the results of a new study in the United States, specifically in California, this study was carried out. And they found that almost a fifth, 18% of electric car owners decide to go back to gas-powered vehicles. We'll talk about the reasons why. We'll also be hearing from one of a few, one of the only few Emirati women to venture into the car repair business, Huda Al-Matrushi. Uh, she runs Amex Garage in Sharjah, and she'll be, she'll be telling us why she loves her job. And inspired by Huda, we're running a poll to gauge your mechanical ability, your basic uh, motoring ability. We just quite simply want to know, are you able to change a tyre. Now, to vote on this, you need to go to our Instagram page at Dubaii1038FM. You need to click on uh, our story. That's the little circular button with our logo in it. And then you can vote yes or no. The latest results of that at the moment, 54% of you say yes, you can, 46% saying no. So it's very, very close. Um, And if you've ever 
changed a tyre or your tyre here in the UAE, and uh, you wouldn't recommend it like Matthew Davidson, our uh, car valuation expert, was saying, wouldn't advise it, not on the side of the road here, call a professional truck. But if you've had an experience and you want to tell us about that, 4001 is our SMS number. Um, right, let's uh, crack on with the latest motoring news now with journalist Damien Reed. Good morning, Damien. Good morning, Ray. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's, good. Uh, yeah, we've got a, got a busy weekend of motorsports, so that always makes me happy. <laughs> good, good. Before we get on to, on to uh, all of today's stories, um, I'm guessing you've changed a tyre or two in your time. Unfortunately, I have, yeah, <laughs> quite a few, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you feel about um, Matthew Davidson's ad- advice? He's saying, you know, don't, don't change it yourself. Call a repair truck, especially if it's on one of the major highways out here. What, what would you advise? Yeah, look on on the on the major highways, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree with Matthew on that one, because the the, the shoulders, the, the hard shoulders, are, are you know fairly narrow, and and there's big speeds, especially sort of out. I mean, on the major roads here, but also the the, the major roads that go into the regional areas like you know Alain and and that sort of thing. Um, cars are going very very quickly along there, and and uh, it's just. I think in this day and age, it's just it's every everyone's a phone call away, mm. and it's an, it's an unnecessary risk. I put it I put it that way. On a quiet little suburban street, you can probably get away with it, but uh, we've got we've got recovery trucks everywhere yes. now. On, on at the end of a phone call, why risk your life when you can when you can just call someone in to do it? And they've got the the high vis vests and the flashing lights and the cone markers and the whole things that you probably don't carry in your car. So I uh, agree with Matt one hundred percent. It can be tough as well. I mean, I've I've changed certainly more than I, I would ever have wanted to. It's it's, it's not something enjoyable for, uh, for me. Um, but you know, it can be really tough uh, to get those bolts off and to to you know to obviously you know raise the car first and it, it's not a, it's not an easy thing for for anyone to do no that's a that's a very good point for for two reasons uh one is is when when wheels are fitted to a car in a garage they use the, the they use the uh the hydraulic rattle guns yeah. to, to secure the bolt which which is much more than than hand tight um so you know you can find yourself on the side of the road with a car jacked up exposed to traffic mm. Putting all your effort in it, not being able to get it, get get the nuts off, uh, which which makes you vulnerable to to the traffic, and also with the heat and the sand, they can also fuse the nut to the wheel to an extent as well. So, you know, it might be on for too tight for even the strongest of us to to use just the old uh, hand wrench to to loosen them off. So, you know, that's a, a very valid point. That um, you know, if you're focused on that, you're not focused on on the traffic around you. Yeah. And, it only takes one slip, you know, right? And you're and you're on your back in the middle of the lane, and that's that's nothing that anyone wants to 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 experience. Definitely not. Okay, let's let's move on to uh, the news stories. We've got you for the next uh, 25 minutes or so, and there's plenty of uh, news for us to chat about. Um, let's start with the big announcement by Lotus. Um, I understand that you've been on a Zoom conference with the UK management team. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I went down and had a look at the the new showroom down here in Dubai during the week that uh, Adamas is the the local distributor, and uh, and you know it's it's the biggest Lotus showroom in the world. I'm pretty sure that's the case. It's you know, three stories. It's massive, and so it's it's part of a, a deal that Lotus is now owned by or part owned by Geely, the Chinese uh, automotive manufacturer that also owns Volvo and 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 many others, and they've invested uh, two billion. UK pounds, so that's 10 billion dirhams into mm. revitalizing Lotus and making it more than just a, a niche sports car manufacturer. We, you know, those of us who, a lot of people probably don't even know Lotus unless you're actually a car enthusiast. And the car enthusiasts know them as being 
that maker of Formula One cars in the seventies and seventies and eighties, and, and little sports cars and mm. you know cars you see at the Autodrome on track days. What they, what the Chinese company wants to do now, Geely, is make them a more of a mainstream car that will be able, you'll be able to use every day. And the other thing, of course, is that they're going to be full electric. So it's a big, mm. big change coming. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here that um, they at the moment they're making around 1,500 annually, but they're looking to increase that that 20-fold. So that is going to be – this is going to be a huge ramping up. I'm, do they have the facilities available for this, or are they going to have to expand and, and, and create new facilities? Yeah, I mean they're they're building they're building right now. So mm. at the moment, every Lotus in the world comes out of the same factory at Hethel in the UK, the original factory. So um, now they're they're built with they're building a, a massive manufacturing plant in China, in Wuhan, and that's going to produce uh, their premium cars, which I'm being told is a, is an SUV mm. um, and and other cars as well. And then they're also they they've got design studios they're they're using in Gothenburg in Sweden, um, and they've got. Uh, of other other facilities in in the United States, in in Michigan, in Los Angeles, um, and you know they're really really ramping up ar- around the world. So yes, there's going to be more than than one manufacturing, and they're also involved with the university as well uh, on campus in the in the UK as well for mm. for future development. So um, yeah, they're, they're, the 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 new factory in in China is going to be um, it's going to be absolutely huge, and it's a, a greenfield site as they call it, so brand new. Built from the ground up, purpose built to to produce these cars. I mean, they've they've they're known as you know sort of a, a luxury brand. You know, not everybody can afford here. Are they going to make the price point accessible, or are they just going to take on Porsche, Ferrari, and Bentley and people like that? They're going to keep it at that kind of price point. It's yeah, it's still going to be a premium car. Mm. Um, I mean, they have one one uh, hypercar they call it, as as the the industry is now calling it which which toured here recently and it's a full electric car the Avenger that's about 2 maybe about 2 million dirhams or thereabouts um for for that then they've got the the uh the new the, the combustion engine car sports car they're releasing uh, in July called the Emira um and that's going to be i don't know probably in the in in the high hundreds uh, in terms of dirhams then when we get down to, yeah, the, the SUVs and other vehicles, they will be premium products. So you could compare it to, say, a Porsche Macan, perhaps, or a, even the, the Aston Martin DBX, uh, that style of thing. So, yes, they will be premium cars, um, but they'll be uh, produced in a much more than that 1600 figure that they've been doing so far. Mm. Well, uh, Ramadan, the holy month of Ramadan, is, is a time where we see a lot of different car deals on offer here in the UAE. What what kind of uh, sales and, and prices have, have you spotted? At the moment, I think, uh, yeah, the, I mean, Ramadan is always a, 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 the, the best time of the year to purchase a car. And I'm mm-hmm. not just saying that, it really, really is. And uh, and, and I think the thing is right now, given the, given the, the, the current economic climate is that the deals are coming through what we call value-added add-ons and, and other features. So it's not so much saying that you're going to get a couple of thousand dirhams off the price of your, your next car. You will still pay what you'll probably negotiate down to anyway. But in, on top of that, you will get you know, value-added features such as you know, extended warranties, roadside mm-hmm. assistance. It, it'll uh, bump you up a, a two specifications in the car uh, so you get a much better car. So that way it keeps... It keeps the dealership fluid in terms of the the, the, the turnover, the, the revenue that's coming through, but it also puts you in a better product as well. And and that's the kind of the way that the Ramadan deals have been going lately that I've that I've noticed that that it seems to be more 
you know, in, if you're going for a mid-spec, they'll put you in a, in a higher spec or they'll put you onto like a seven-year servicing plan or a guaranteed buyback, which is great for people in this region who are mm. thinking, well, I, I'm on a three-year contract and I, I may move back to, you know, wherever or my family or whatever else. Yes. Then you know that you have an absolute guaranteed buyback with a figure. They'll give you a figure now oh, really? as to what they'll pay for the car. So, yeah, and, and these are the little things that I actually find more attractive than just saying, look, we'll just knock 10 grand off the price of the car. Yeah. I would rather these other features. And, of course, uh, there was a survey recently uh, here in the UAE that it was the Future of Automotive Mobility serve, uh, Survey, and they found uh, that 16% of, of people that they spoke to said that owning a car was much more important because of the pandemic, while 31% said it was more important. So th- this is people are thinking about buying cars who wouldn't necessarily have been um, choosing to have their own private transport. Maybe people who were using public transport before people are maybe going to be looking at these deals, um, saving their, their dirhams and thinking now could be the time to, to get my own vehicle. Yeah, and and you know the pandemic has changed a lot of thinking with in terms of how people get around town. Uh, uh, you know, it, there's not so much the ride share when we're all talking, and this is not just here; it's globally. We're all talking about the industry was talking about you know going ride share, and that's the future and everything else. Well, that's that, you know that was the language that was coming out of Detroit and coming out of Germany and 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 Korea and China. But this has all changed now. People want their own vehicle and they want their own experience. So they're either purchasing cars. Or they're going long-term rental or leasing, which is which is now becoming a, a, a thing here in this region, mm. where you have the same car for you know for the for the price of a rental, and you have the option to buy it at the end of that period or roll that extra uh, bonus, what they call a balloon payment at the end of it, into your next car. So definitely, people are now looking more at personal transportation rather than than uh, going down the rideshare path. Uh, I know you've been um, driving the new Mini Countryman Cooper S. Um, just tell us about that. What, what, what's that like to ride? Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's it's um, first thing is that it's Mini by name only. <laughs> it's a it's an enormous car. Yeah, um, yeah the, the the Mini Countryman S. It's a five door SUV, um, and uh, I parked it next to a, a Toyota Land Cruiser in the at the mall just just to gauge the size of it and. Uh, you honestly couldn't see that it was a it was a it was the FJ series cruiser, so so not the the, the big one, but still it was the FJ cruiser, mm. and uh, it was roughly the same size in terms of you know you couldn't see the FJ behind it. So you know it's a it's a biggish car. It's a two liter turbocharged four cylinder. Uh, it's a five door, uh, seven speed dual clutch auto. It's um it's about seven point four seconds to hundred kilometers an hour, so you know reasonably nippy. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, the thing I like about it, though is that like all the minis, they have real character. You know, it's, you're comparing it to, say, the BMW X1 or the Audi Q3 or even the Range Rover Evoque. Um, but it has, it has the, the character touch points that many have carried right the way through. So, you know, it's, it's got the, the, the James Bond-style metal toggle switches in, in, inside, yeah. the, you know, in the interior. Um, and on top of that, just a few other things. It's got LED headlights now. It's got a piano black options for uh, for for the for the touch points on the outside um and a new digital dash to improve things so it's a mild upgrade but uh, on the previous one but uh yeah it's a nice car but you know mini is a premium product so yeah. it's starting at about 209,000 um you could easily stress that out to 250 plus once you throw the the, the armory of options that they have for you at, at mini wow there's a bit of a theme today because we're you know we're talking about um 
the role that women uh, are increasingly playing in in, in motorsports and mechanic. Uh, you know, we're talking to uh, Huda Al Matrushi later on, um, who's uh, an Emirati uh, female mechanic. She owns a garage here um, in Sharjah, um, and. One story we're talking about with you is the first Arab-American female NASCAR driver. Yeah, I mean, this is a great story. Um, yeah, uh, Tony Bredinger, she's uh, based in, in the United States and has a uh, Lebanese mother um, and uh, is about to make her debut in the, uh, in the, the NASCAR uh, camping, truck, uh, camping World Truck Series, which is, which is like a feeder series to, mm-hmm. to the biggest game on, on Earth, you know, which, is, which is NASCAR racing. And... Uh, yeah, um, first first Arab female uh, to to be competing in in this series, and uh, running in a, a Chevrolet Silverado. Now, for those who don't know, that NASCAR operates a slightly different format to to other formats that we know, say, in Europe, where it doesn't matter who you are before you get into NASCAR, you must go through the feeder series. You just can't buy a ticket in the in the top game. Mm. So you got the this Camping World Truck Series, which is like NASCARs for pickup trucks. It's very very similar mechanically and technically but it's a, it's a pickup truck body then you go into the the junior nascar and the nascar now this is a series that you know kimi raikkonen was in for for two seasons after he won his formula one world championship with ferrari um and it, so everyone goes through so it's so you know it's uh it, it, there's a, a lot of history in this series mm-hmm. and it's fantastic to see that that yeah she'll be making a debut in in this series this season I, I see here that she's uh, the most successful female in the United States auto club history. Nineteen wins under her belt, so she's a she's a real challenger. Yeah, I mean that that's fantastic. You know, she's she's been racing her, her whole life, like, as every as every professional racer started with go karts when she was just nine years old. Uh, she has a twin sister Annie, who's also racing as well. So I'm waiting to see whether Annie gets involved at the top end as well. But they they then went to this fabulous little racetrack in uh, in California called Sonoma Raceway, um, and and got into what the Americans do, which is what they call flat track racing, which is dirt racing, speedway kind of thing. And uh, and you you get your you get your bumps and thumps there, mm. and then you you progress through through the other series. But um, and and now moving into this and and becoming one of uh, to be honest one of a growing number of, of females that are now starting to that that, that are racing in, in NASCAR. Obviously, the mm. you know the, the biggest name in NASCAR, female NASCARs at the time, of course, would be would be Danica Patrick, who who went on to IndyCar and raced in IndyCar very successfully as well. So, um, you know, the the path is there, and that's what I like about the United States racing is that they do actually open a bit of a path. Yeah. Um, but it's great to see that yeah, you know that that she's representing the Arab world, moving moving up through this series and. Uh, and good luck to her. I hope she gets a lot of recognition. Absolutely. And she's just uh, bagged a sponsorship deal with Huda Beauty, um, which is, I believe, the company from Huda Katan, who uh, um, I know quite well from uh, a few years ago here in Dubai. And, of course, there's a big potential for uh, female race car drivers in terms of popularity and sponsorship opportunities as well. Um, not surprisingly, this news has sort of been all over the, all over the world, and particularly in the U.S. Um, and Tony was interviewed um, earlier on by U.S. Show Today. Let's hear a quick clip. I have been dreaming to race at Daytona ever since I was a kid. And I went to the race the year before and watched. I was like, you know what? I want to race here next year. Like, I'm going to do it. So when I was nine, my dad just took me to the go-kart track for fun at Sonoma Raceway. I just fell in love with it. Like, my first day out, they gave me the nickname Hot Chew. So I thought it was so fast and so good. My mom, you know, she had a little bit of, like, a rough childhood growing up being born in Lebanon and being a war refugee. So she really chased her dreams, came to America, and really, like, made 
made her own path. But I do want to pave the way so there's others that follow behind me. They love an American dream story, and that's certainly one uh, there by the sounds of it, isn't it, Damien? Oh, fantastic! You know, and uh, and and also to get you know, the sponsorship from a, from a local company mm. here to get involved as well is sensational because you know when you when you look at it from a uh, from even from a marketing perspective, it's you know to to be tapping into the North American market, um, it, it is. And let's not forget, NASCAR is is probably the world's most populous form of motorsport. It is enormous numbers that get involved, and you're one step away from IndyCar, which is the world's biggest single-day sporting event when they do compete in the Indy 500. So, you know, enormous exposure. Um, And it's just great to see, you know, someone like Tony chasing her dreams and and getting a ride in in what's still an incredibly tough series to to get a a professional seat in. If if Kimi Raikkonen had to to fight his way through, um, that's how tough it is. Yeah, yeah. So so realistically then, you know, what what does she need to do? What sort of impact does she need to make to to sort of make make it through to to the main race? Well, you know, it is so, so competitive that uh, nothing short of wins and, and championship wins yeah. and title wins really from here on in um, because then you go to the junior level of NASCAR, which is like the one season old cars kind of thing, and then you get into the top end. Um, and even, you know, Danica Patrick, you know, had enormous commercial support uh, but still, you know, had to, had to fight as well. So, you know, it's um, it's it's a tough it's a tough road. But from here on in, the real real hard yards start. So, the fact that that she's uh, getting recognition and publicity is fantastic. Mm. But um, and she obviously does have the wins on the board. If she's uh, so been so successful with the American uh, Automobile Sports Car Club, yeah. then I have no doubt at all that that she can, she, you know, she can definitely uh, get get those results that are required to to move on to the next series and. And the it's North America, the world's your oyster in motorsport. Yeah. If you can do that, <laughs> uh, let's stay with the the states. A different uh, story, though. There's been a, a study carried out, and this was carried out by the University of California, Davis. Uh, a couple of researchers there. They surveyed over four thousand households who own or owned electric vehicles in California, and what they found was that twenty percent of plug-in hybrid owners and eighteen percent of all electric vehicle owners actually end up going back to gasoline-powered vehicles. Now, does that surprise you, Damien? In some ways, not really. In some ways, it does, of course, mm. because we're, we're heading towards an electrical future. But mm. in other ways, no, because the it's kind of a chicken-and-egg situation that we've been in now for about five or six years, and we probably will be for another five or six years, and that is uh, infrastructure or the car. And and you develop, you know, the, the guys who are behind the infrastructure are saying, well, build me a car and we'll, we'll support it. The automotive industry said, well, here's the car, where's the infrastructure? Mm. And we're kind of in that situation at the moment. But uh, early adopters, of course, will, you know, jumped on board and and, and they will stay with it. Others perhaps are are realising that, um, and it's an an issue we've discussed before on this program, that... um, uh, sure, the, the 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 running costs are a lot cheaper, but you have mm. to weigh that against the the extra purchase, the, the extra price in the in the purchase cost compared to a conventional uh, combustion car. But I'm sure this is something that will switch, flick back as as the infrastructure ramps up and people will start to get back into EVs again. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this in more detail with Salman Hussein after the break. Uh, he's from EV Lab, and we'll look at this study in more detail, including those uh, key reasons why people are switching back to, to gas. Uh, Damien, a busy week coming up for you? Yeah, very busy. I'm just about to head into the studio uh, down at NBC Action. We're going to uh, be covering the all the action from 
from uh, Portugal mm-hmm. for the third round of the Formula One Championship. So we've got uh, practice this, this afternoon and qualifying later this afternoon. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's a great season. Uh, it, it's you know, it's it's the season, first time in a long time that that Lewis Hamilton is coming in as probably the underdog. To be honest, he's he's only leading by one point at this stage after two rounds, and uh, all eyes now are on the Dutchman uh, Max Verstappen and the Red Bull team. So it's uh, super super competitive. And it's great because on your social media at Damien Reed on Instagram, you post quite a lot of uh, behind the scenes uh, snaps and, and videos and things like that. So that's a really cool place to check out if you want to see what Damien's getting up to throughout the week. Because I'm, I'm looking at him, I'm like, I'm jealous. This is, uh, <laughs> you're up to all sorts, Damien. Very, very jealous. I'm having a great time. Uh, as always, thanks for coming on the program today. And we'll chat to you next time. Thanks, Damien. Always a pleasure, Ray. Thanks. So, yeah, after the break, we're going to uh, look in more depth at this study that's revealed why, some of the reasons why electric car owners are returning to gas. Now, of course, this study is specifically about California, but what does it tell us about the the the, the national, the international, the global kind of reaction to uh, EVs? We'll chat more about this after the break. This is Motor Mania with Ray Addison. There's more coming up on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, we're talking about a new study which has revealed some of the reasons why electric car owners are returning to gas. Now, it's important to note this study has been carried out in California. But what can it tell us about the approach and reaction to EV um, globally and maybe here in the UAE as well? Uh, Salman Hussein is product officer at EV Lab and he joins us now. Good morning, Salman. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Great, and it's uh, wonderful to have you on the line. First of all, for those uh, listeners who don't know, tell us what EV Lab is. So EV Lab is a uh, is a concept that's funded by the Shell Hoop Group that's looking to do multi-brand retailing for electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of Teslas on the road, but there are a bunch of other cars as well, and we try to bring the whole industry together so that everybody can have a shot at the electric vehicle market, which is growing. Okay, exciting. So, so you've, you, you're aware of this study, I'm sure. It, it, it's interesting because it's a, it's a study that's been carried out by the uh, University of California, Davis, um, by a couple of researchers. And I, I, I'm not sure if they sort of anticipated that it would go global because it's being picked up by news agencies around the world, much like ourselves here in Dubai. And it's basically telling us that um, almost a fifth, 18% of electric car owners are going back to gas-powered vehicles. Uh, they're trying electric cars, and then they're saying, do you know what? No, I'm going to make my next next purchase a gas-powered vehicle. And, you know, we'll go through some of the reasons why. But uh, does this surprise you, first of all, or is this something that you would expect? Uh, honestly, I, I do see the point, because if you look at the study, a majority of those owners basically have a, a two major issues. One is the range, but the but the biggest one seems to be the lack of convenient charging. And that's something that needs to be sorted, especially when you're not living somewhere like a villa with your own uh, access to charging in an apartment or a, another area. Because mm. I, have li- I have lived that lifestyle where I have to use public chargers and they're great, but uh, having that charging facility at home or in the office, uh, you can't beat that. How much is actually involved for, um, you know, a, a government, a council, uh, wherever it might be around the world? What's involved in actually setting up electric charges? You know, it's not something that can just happen overnight, I'm assuming, especially in sort of um, public areas, car parks and, and so forth. There's a lot of infrastructure that's involved in this. 
So Diva has been really good to us here in Dubai. They have an initiative where uh, they are they go through the committee for uh, approving charges for private locations in buildings mm. and for public locations. So it's relatively uh, straightforward and there's a process to it. Uh, I think Dubai has been very good, especially in putting out public charges as well. And uh, in working in line with the Dubai municipality here, we have now green building regulations that state all new buildings need to have at least 5% of their parking spaces allocated for uh, EV charging. Mm. So they're doing a lot here in this country. So this is it's important that it's legislated for. It's important that it's part of city planning, uh, town planning. Um, when you're deciding to build new areas here in Dubai, it's very much now included alongside right we want a you know we want a school we want housing we want different um levels of, of income housing as well so it's it's got to be intrinsically involved in that plan absolutely and i think the dubai government is doing a fantastic job i think our main challenge now lies only in two areas which is uh number one there's all these old buildings which mm. don't have a provision i live in a new building and i actually have a provision in my apartment downstairs uh for ev charging and it's great uh, because i drive an ev but uh, retrofitting older buildings has always been a challenge and we're in touch with many, many owners who've had one issue or the other trying to get the building owners or the landlords to give them some charging. And that's a, that's a matter that needs to be sorted probably at the government level, but also I think at the uh, private sector level because mm. Dubai has been doing such a fantastic job of putting down these charging stations and they give out charging for free. So essentially right now charging is free throughout the country. But that also means that private sector needs and you know doesn't really have an incentive right now to get into the space, and so I think once they once they can monetize off it, uh, in some way or the other, if all charging gets paid for or can be paid for, then I think the private sector will really jump in and take over that market for the for the for the apartments and for those residential spaces. So just looking at the the reasons that were identified um, by this study in California. So just to state just clearly, this is not a study that was carried out here in the UAE. These are not reasons given by people who own EVs here in the UAE. This is purely uh, a California study. So over there, they they surveyed four thousand households who owned uh, uh, or who owned or own electric vehicles in California and found that twenty percent of plug-in hybrid owners, eighteen percent of all electric vehicle owners, end up going back to gasoline-powered vehicles. The reason dissatisfaction with the convenience of charging we've, we've covered that not having level two that's 240 volt charging at home and one of those elements was these are people who have apartments um and you, they, they're park they don't have a garage they don't have a, a, a you know an under um under apartment garage or, or sub garage if that's the right terminology and so they're parking their their evs out on the street and they can't there's nowhere to plug them in um which seems a bit surprising to me because you would kind of know before you went and bought the vehicle if you were going to have that problem, right? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, the thing is that it's uh, that a lot of Dubai, in Dubai, especially in our buildings here, we have a lot of provision for uh, for private parking, and so therefore we have a lot of provision uh, for for installing charges in those locations. So uh, every building I've lived in here in Dubai has has had a private parking space, and therefore then yeah. some can definitely be allocated for charging. So this is a, this is something that in Dubai I feel like can be sorted. On street parking is not as popular I would say as in California. So I think here that problem would be a little bit less. Um, and I think we're we're get to solving that issue be, with the help of the Dubai government and the, all the stuff that they've already done. Mm. Uh, I think the challenge only lies in now 
sort of retrofitting the older buildings and making sure that they're that those landlords are maybe able to monetize off it in the future. So here's one of the most surprising uh, factors that that they found in their study. Um, the biggest influence of those who go back to gas is the whether the person is male or female. More women chose to go back to gas. Uh, they chose to go back at a higher rate than men. Does that surprise you? That's very, that's actually, I, I read that and I also thought that was very surprising. Yeah. Um, but actually it turns out, it's a, when, when I was digging down to that data and it turns out it's very brand specific. Okay. So a lot of, there's about 38% of uh, Fiat 500e owners, for example, that uh, that swap back into um, petrol powered cars. Because the thing is, uh, and, and only 10% of Teslas, because Teslas, the brand loyalty for a Tesla is very, very high. Mm. And I think the reason for that is because the Fiat 500Es were meant as com- compliance cars in California, and they were made to offset the carbon credits that the company was making. So they didn't really do a job as good as, let's say, a dedicated EV like a Tesla would have done. Mm. And so that makes sense because a lot of the buyers of a Fiat 500E, so it's a small car, would have been women. So the correlation there, it's it's funny how it works out, but it's actually uh, a lot to do with the brand specificity there. Okay, that's really interesting. And, and a lot of loyalty for, for Tesla they found. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tesla was the lowest, and I think only 10% of people wanted to go back on average, versus 38 for the Fiat. Now, you drive um, an EV yourself, the Chevrolet Bolt. Tell us about that. What's your experience? Uh, the, the Bolt has been great. So I've been driving EV for five years. I actually was the first private owner of a Renault Zoe here in the in the UAE, and that was back in 2016. And I, let me tell you, that was challenging because I, I was living in an apartment. It was a car with 100 kilometers of range. Moving from there to, in 2019 when I bought the Bolt has been a massive change for me because mm-hmm. the Bolt goes three times as much uh, range-wise, and it's absolutely very very convenient for me to ch- because i have now i now have access to charging in my apartment and now i have access to charging at work as well and so for me the, that itself combined with the fact that i can make a long trip i mean i'm sitting here today in abu dhabi and i've driven my car it's my daily driver this is what i do i i've been amazed with um some of the re- recent releases of of, of evs and f- and learning about the range of of these vehicles how far they can go now compared to Years and years ago, I know, but when they were first talking about these cars and how far they could go, it has just increased massively. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, the we have we have had uh, a bunch of cars uh, that we displayed yesterday for the event we did at uh, Yas Marina. Mm. Some of these cars can go very very far. I mean, I'm seeing now uh, cars with ranges of 500 kilometers plus uh, on so many of the the owners that bought in their cars yesterday. Yeah, and they they were and you know the thing is when I was driving the car back in the day, 30 kilometers would have given me a lot of uh, you know anxiety. Yeah, these people they they have about 100 kilometers. And then they're then you know the 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 bar for anxiety has risen now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good. That's what we want. We don't want people to That's be much less good. much yeah, less anxious. Uh, you mentioned your event. This was um, at Yas Marina Circuit. Tell us about that. Yeah. So yesterday, uh, EV Lab uh, had a, a a track day. Uh, it was, I think, the first of its kind for the UAE because a lot of these owners they they have these perfor- high performance Teslas, the Model Three performance. And they want to take them on the road, uh, sorry, on the um, on the track, and they want to see what the car can do, uh, but they haven't had the chance to. So this is their first shot at uh, seeing how it would behave in the track. And a lot of positive feedback is what we've gotten mm-hmm. uh, over the over yesterday and today, because uh, a lot of them they were able to 
to see the limits. And it's not just them. I think we got a lot of positive feedback about the Porsche Taycan, uh, about the Chevy Bolt. Uh, we've a lot of surprising uh, things are coming out of this, and we're only beginning to scrape the surface because we're getting the feedback now. Uh, Salman Hussein, product officer at EV Lab, thanks so much for joining us. If people want to find out more about EV Lab, where can they go? Uh, so we, our website is live at ev-lab.io. Uh, we're also based out of uh, the Shalhoub greenhouse in D3. So if you're in the area, please give us a shout. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Uh, right, coming up in just a minute, we're going to be chatting to Huda Al-Matrushi. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania with Ray Addison on Dubai I 103.8. Yeah, we love to bring you interesting stories on Motormania, talking to people who are passionate about motoring. And uh, this next person is is right up there. Huda Alma Trushi is one of a few Emirati women to venture into the car repair business. She actually runs Amex Garage in Sharjah. And she recently did an interview with an international news outlet. And then guess what happened? Her story went global, picked up all over the world. Of course, we wanted to speak to her as well. Um, We spoke earlier. She explained how she grew up playing with remote-controlled cars, figuring out the parts, trying to fix them when they were broken. And then, obviously, as she became older, she got interested in real cars. From 2006, I tried to improve my uh, dream. I need to know information about the mechanical, electrical, how it works, how it becomes damaged or it's not work. So from 2006 till 2017, 10 or 11 years, I learn, then I make the license. It's like a broker uh, license. I take uh, cars from the customer, give it to the garage. So many garages I can deal with them. From there also, I try to learn what happened to this car, what's the problem, how we will fix it, how we will do it. And from 2017 to 2020, uh, I stopped that license and start to open my uh, garage, own garage. So she's been involved in, in the motoring business at multiple levels, seeing it from all angles. She also spent years inspecting other people's cars, making sure that she knew every part and how to repair it. I go to uh, so many garages. I try to see them, what they are doing. If I have, uh, for example, brake pads, their sound, what they are doing, how, what the steps. Uh, if there is a high temperature, in the car, what's the steps? Only one uh, solution or different solutions you have. Why that temperature has come high? There is uh, so many uh, questions in my mind. It's maybe because there is no water. Maybe the thermostat is um, broken. Or maybe there is leak. So many different uh, answers. In that time, I have to see and to check that car uh, or any different car, why the temperatures come up, why the AC it's not work uh, properly, and you have limit of that gas. If you put more, it will not work with you properly. If you have, if you put low gas of AC, also it will not uh, work with you properly. We also asked Huda how people react when they see her in the garage because you know it might be surprising to some people. This is what she said: the customer. When they came, they shocked because I'm a lady. My advice is your current situation is not your final destination. For all women, for all who have the dream, maybe you will fill 19th time 
but you will stand on your leg on the 20th. I love that. Your current situation is not your final destination. Um, what, an, what a motto. Um, we also asked her uh, what she drives. See, I have two cars right now. I have uh, my FJ Cruiser 2014 and I have a BMW uh, 8 Series. 2019. So I prefer the FJ Now, as as we said, obviously this story um, grabbed attention all around the world. And in the last 24 hours, uh, Huda has spoken to His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi and Deputy Supreme Commander of the UAE Armed Forces. And a, a video of her on the phone uh, to Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed has obviously gone viral as well. Now, earlier on today, we asked her about that phone call and she said she was absolutely speechless. I cannot say anything because the full power, he's, he's called me and he gives me a full uh, energy. And he's, uh, alhamdulillah, he's, when he's talking to me, he said, please, uh, daughter, this is a challenge and this is the opportunity and you can do it. There is nothing impossible. Nothing is impossible. It's amazing to have that support from the UAE leadership. Um, her story obviously inspired us to come up with our talker today. Uh, we were asking you guys um, if you were able to change uh, a tyre on your car if it was to burst. And uh, we ran that poll on our Instagram page at Dubai I 1038 FM. And it's so, so close. 51% of you say yes. 49% of you said no. Of course, we chatted to this about uh, about this topic with our expert guests as well. We're chatting to Damien Reed. We were chatting to Matthew Davidson as well earlier on. And their advice was call in the experts, especially if you suffer a blowout or uh, find that your tyre has be- uh, becomes flat, runs flat on a major highway because you don't want to be out there changing the tyre yourself. Uh, have a card ready of a, um, a reliable pickup service. Maybe ask around, see if there's a recommendation for a tow truck service and have that in the car, a lot like you'd have the uh, the gas uh, change guy on your fridge, I certainly do at home, have that card uh, in your wallet or in your car um, and then if the worst does happen, you know which number you can call or store it in your phone, of course, um, and have it there uh, on speed dial, as it were, because it can be very dangerous to change your uh, own tyre along the side of the road, not to mention it can be extremely dangerous difficult to do that um, by yourself as well. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're male or female, changing a tyre can be an extremely difficult thing to do. Damien Reed pointed out that, of course, when these tyres are are installed by professionals in a professional garage, like Huda's garage over in, in Sharjah, they're using specialised equipment which makes sure uh, that it is um, securely uh, tightened to exactly the right um, uh, pressure. And, of course, you know, that can be extremely difficult to remove yourself um, with just uh, your arm muscles. Uh, I know I know that from uh, personal experience. Uh, thanks to everyone who joined in today's uh, programme. Uh, until our next show, if you know someone in the motoring world who's doing great things or inspiring people, please do get in touch with us here. Uh, you can message us on 4001. We do uh, check all the messages, even when uh, this show is not on air. If you have a rare car that you'd like to tell us about, you can text us as well, 4001. Uh, you can also use the ARN Play app, uh, and you can message us using that completely free of charge. Of course, you can always call us 04871 and you can ask for producer Zena of Motormania, and they'll uh, put you through to the right person.